Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. I mentioned this yesterday when I started. Yes, uh, today is my mom's birthday. My parents were here um, supporting me, but today is also someone else's birthday. Yeah. So before you leave, make sure you say happy birthday to Sarah Vandermeulen. So I always like when I'm talking to give people the chance to just disagree with me right up front. Then if you need to do something else during service, you don't have to feel like you can need to come and go. So I'm just going to say this right up front. You already have the faith that you need for whatever God has asked you to do. You already have it. God put it inside you. Romans 12.3 says, God has allotted to each of us a measure of faith. God has already given us the faith that we need to be great parents, children, spouses, employees, and Christians. But when things get hard, we're tempted to pray for more faith. Have you ever told God that he didn't give you enough? That doesn't sound like God, at least not the God that I worship. He always equips and walks beside when he asks us to do something. When I start thinking about faith, I start thinking about heroes of the faith. Many of you probably have your own, your favorites. Um, I think about people like Moses, people like Noah, One of my favorites, Joshua. The first time I ever read the story about Jericho, I thought maybe God was trying to embarrass him. Just march around. It'll be fine. (laughs) All right, God. But he had to have faith, right? One of the other people that I think about is David. Not King David. Long before King David. I think about David when he's the age of one of my sons. 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. The David who went down to the battlefield to check on his family. And then when he got there, he saw that an entire Israelite army was beholden to one man. This boy was full of faith from what God had already done inside him and for him previously. And he decides on his own that the insult can't stand. So they try, the rest of them are scared. So they try, we'll give you the king's armor and the sword. And, and he, couldn't, he couldn't wear it. It didn't fit. So he walks out to greet Goliath with some stones and a sling. We read the stories. We all know the story. You're quoting it in your head as I'm telling you the story, but I just want you to picture the story for one minute. My son, at 16 or 15 or 14, walks out to meet a man that an entire army is afraid of. That doesn't seem to make sense. 
So he takes this weapon out that by any stretch of the imagination is fairly weak. And when he approaches, God is taunting, God, I apologize, Goliath is taunting him. Goliath is taunting the Israelite army and Goliath is insulting God. And with a rock and a sling, he put the giant down. We all know the story. The thing is, though, the interesting part to me is he didn't leave it there. He could have, I mean, everybody was in awe. Drop the mic. I've showed up. I handled the problem for you guys, right? But that's not what he did. He walked over and he picked up the weapon that Goliath had and he cut his head off. God was making some points right there. And the thing is, he wasn't only making the point to the army that Goliath was standing in front of. He was making a point to the Israelites and to anyone else who was watching that day. So picture any of the youth that you know in this room on a battlefield with 100,000 people standing on one side and 100,000 people standing on the other side and he's standing in the middle with a weapon he can barely hold up because it belongs to a man twice his size and a severed head. It's easy to read the story, but it's much different to put yourself in those shoes. What kind of faith does it take as a 13 or 15 or 16-year-old boy to walk out on that battlefield? There's 100,000 people in the Israelite army that didn't have that same faith. Pastor Tony Evans says that Faith is acting like God is telling the truth. So let that sink in because I'm going to ask you the same. I, I ask me these same questions. Am I living like God is telling the truth? So are you living like God is telling the truth? Are you standing over your giant, whatever it is, with a weapon in one hand and a head in the other? Because God's telling you, I'm in control. I will give you the victory and I'll walk the whole battle out right beside you. But it takes action on our part. More than likely, like me, in a lot of ways, maybe some of you are living in fear. There's 100,000 men standing on that battlefield that day living in fear. 100,000 well-equipped, well-trained, highly motivated men standing in fear that day. And one boy standing in faith. But if you're living in fear, what are you living in fear of? In this day and age, many of us, I said this last night and someone immediately disagreed with me, but many people in their hearts are afraid of COVID. And rightly so, 754,000 people in the United States have died of COVID. COVID. 
Here's the harder question. Are you living in fear of the vaccine? I'm not saying you should or shouldn't get it. That's not what I'm saying. But God is saying that we shouldn't live in fear of anything. So if you're afraid of the vaccine and you talk about the vaccine and you use words like this could happen to me or that could happen or what are the chances of this, where's your God? Are you living in fear of the government? Jason spent some time talking about that over the last couple weeks. Maybe some of you, maybe some of us, the guy that we wanted to win didn't win. And now the guy that we did want to win is fading into the background and we're left wondering what's going to happen. It's only a matter of time until they completely take over and our values will be gone forever. Where's your faith? Who's your God? Maybe, and this is the one that I have struggled with the most in my past, you live in fear of finances. When one of us, Bob or Jimmy or anyone gets up here and talks about tithe, the only thing that you could think about is if I tithe that money, I won't be able to pay this bill or that bill. Who's your God? This is not living in faith. This is living in fear. Because faith is not based on what we can see. Faith takes us beyond the realm of our senses and into the realm of the invisible. That's the difference between us and the heroes of the faith. They were not special. They were written about, they appear in the Bible, but they were normal human beings just like you and I. They had doubts. They even had unbelief. They tried to take over on their own sometimes, but they walked their lives by faith. They weren't better than you and I. Do you struggle with doubt and unbelief? I'll tell you a a story, and I know we're going to be running short on time, so I'm going to try and get through this as quickly as possible, but... Before I started working for Childbridge in June of this year, for the last 20 years, I've been in IT. So after 20 years, you know, I was fairly high up in the company that I worked for. I was an engineer and a project manager. And uh, a little over two years ago, it was in August, I uh, walked, it was a very busy morning, just like it always is for, for a lot of us. And I was on mission, trying to get stuff done, had 18 things that needed to be done that day. So I went into a server room for our largest customer for the company that I worked for. And the funny thing about server rooms is they have massive air conditioners in them. And the reason for that is because whatever the temperature is in a room, it's 20 or 30 degrees hotter in your computer. And so if you wanna keep your computer running well, you're gonna keep the temperature down. And so your computer will normally be happy like 80, 90 degrees, which means the server room has to be around 60 degrees. So when you're in there, it's cold, it's not hot. Funny thing was that day, I'd been there for about 30 minutes and I started feeling really hot. And then I started feeling really dizzy. And then it felt like there was an elephant sitting on my chest and I couldn't breathe. 
and my heart was pounding. My breathing became really labored and shallow. My arms started hurting. And I thought, at 38 years old, am I having a heart attack? And then I thought, which arm is it supposed to be? Because I can't remember whether it's the left or the right. So I did what any rational person would do. I closed the door to the server room. There was only probably two people in that organization besides us who knew the code to that door. But I was not going to die in front of the people that I worked for. That was my thought process at the time. I had felt all of these feelings in the past, but none of them together. And they didn't subside, they persisted. So I made some phone calls, just like anyone who is having a heart attack and locked the server room door. I called my mom and my wife. What should I do? And they convinced me to go to convenient care. And the only thing that I could think about was what the people that I was working for would think. And so I left all of my stuff sitting in that server room and I opened the door and I kept my eyes down and I walked as fast as I could walk without making it look like I was sprinting to get out of the, the office without anyone talking to me. And then I got in my car and like any sane person would do, I drove myself to convenient care. And then when I got to convenient care, they hooked me up to their machines and the very first words out of the lady's mouth were, oh my God, you need to go to the emergency room. We're not equipped to deal with this. So after that, I did what any person would do who was having those types of feelings and I went out and I got in my car and I drove myself to the emergency room. Apparently the convenient care staff had called ahead because when I got there, there was a nurse with a wheelchair waiting outside for me. And they wheeled me into the room and for eight hours, they poked me and prodded me, ran EKGs multiple times. And at the end of eight hours, the entire time me thinking I'm dying, the doctor says, I can't find anything wrong with you. Go talk to your primary care physician. Okay. And on that day, started six months of a spiral that some of you are probably very familiar with when you know that I wasn't having a heart attack. I was having panic attacks. At 38 years old, basically the top of my career at the time for the company that I was working with and everything going my direction, for some reason, I developed panic attacks and they did not start softly or over a long period of time. They started overnight. Of course, I'm having all the thoughts. I think this guy is nuts. And I think I've just paid them a lot of money and they can't even find what's wrong with me. So I continue thinking that I'm gonna die. And I've left a lot of things undone. I spent a lot of time working and not a lot of time with my children. I spent a lot of time working and not a lot of time at my church. And ultimately, we all know, we can laugh about it, I laugh about it now. I wasn't having a heart attack. 
But for six months, I thought I was dying. And for six months, I was convinced beyond a reasonable doubt that these people were crazy and that no one could find the problem with me. And for six months, I laid on my couch and worked an hour at a time, thankfully. My employer allowed me to work from home and work as I could. And I'd work for an hour and then I'd go back to bed and cry. And then I'd have a panic attack. And then I'd get up and I'd work for an hour and then I'd go back to bed and I'd cry. And I'd have a panic attack. And after several months, I also tried their medication, which made things a lot worse, not a lot better. And I finally came to the realization one day, in a very clear moment, that mine was not a medical problem. So I want to stop right here because I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. If you suffer with panic and anxiety and yours is a medical problem, that's valid. I'm saying for me, it was not a medical problem. So I cried out to God because that was the only thing I had left to do. It should have been the first thing that I'd done. Please hear me on that. But I waited several months and I finally cried out to God. And I asked him, I said, why have you forsaken me? Not only where are you, but why didn't you equip me? You told me that you would equip me to get through these things. God is no respecter of men. That's what the Bible says. And whatever he will do for one of us, he will do for any of us. And that's what he showed me that day. So I started my search and I eventually ended up exactly where I want to talk to you about today. It's in Mark 9. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Mark 9, 14 through 29. I'm just going to read it really quick. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some of the teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought you my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk, and whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they could not do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, or in some translations, you unbelieving people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been asking, has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often overthrows him and then throws him into the fire or the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible to a person that believes. The father cried out instantly, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. 
Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him, and the boy appeared dead. But Jesus took the boy by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterwards, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? Jesus replied, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. Your unbelief is blocking your faith. And sometimes their unbelief is blocking your faith also. So the Romans were purveyors of some pretty horrific ways to die besides the crucifixion. They had another thing that they really liked to do if they wanted you to suffer for a long time. It's called the corpse bride. They would tie a dead body to you face to face and then you would be stuck living like that until you died. Our unbelief and our doubt is our corpse bride. We allow this doubt and unbelief to be tied to us or we tie it to ourselves and we will eventually kill our faith. You've got to engage with Jesus and start to exercise your faith if you want to overcome unbelief and doubt. All things are possible to him who believes. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks, so he is. You are what you think. So in verse 21, Jesus asks the, boy, the boy's father how long this has been happening, and he tells him that it has been going on since childhood. But the father instinctually knows, even with his doubt, where his healing is coming from, because he engages Jesus. And he says, if you can do anything... And Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. And it, the Bible says immediately, the boy's father says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. And right after that, Jesus heals the boy. So there's a man, his name was Sir Roger Bannister. He was uh, born in 1929. Um, he was in neurology. He was a, a big professor at Oxford and before that, he ran. He ran in the Olympics, and he set a, a British record in the 1500 meter. And he, uh, long before any of those things, he was practicing. And this wasn't on a track like the tracks that we have today, where they're very well prepared. And he wasn't wearing Nikes like we have today. He was wearing regular shoes with metal spikes stuck through the bottom of them. And when he told people what he wanted to do, people told him that he was crazy. They said, your lungs will explode. The wind resistance will never let you go that fast. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> I'm shortening the story up a little bit. In front of 1,200 people on a practice day for an amateur track team, he ran a mile in three minutes and 59.4 seconds. All things are possible to him who believes. I don't know if I'm going to be running a mile in three minutes and 54 seconds anytime soon, but he did it. The thing is, you can't do it on your own. After delivering and healing the boy, the Bible says that they went in the house. His disciples were alone with him in private. It was finally their opportunity to ask Jesus what had gone wrong. Why had they failed? 
See, we didn't cover it, but in Mark chapter 6, just three chapters earlier, Jesus had actually commanded those same disciples to go out and heal people and cast out demons. So they had already been doing it. They were familiar with this. So, Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And he makes an interesting statement. He says, this, this kind can only come out by prayer. But I think sometimes when we read a statement like that, it's lost on us. See, it wasn't just that they didn't pray. They were resting on their past victories and their past successes and decided to do it on their own. Jesus was gone. See, right before this, he was up on the uh, Mount of Transfiguration with Peter and James and John. So the other disciples are down there getting in this argument with the scribes at the beginning of this story. And the disciples, I got this. I can do this. We just did it the other day. That's not the way faith works. It's often said that prayer doesn't change God. It changes us. Prayer aligns us with God, especially in cases like this. If we expect to walk in and act with the power of God, we have to be aligned with him. It isn't that prayer and fasting makes us more worthy to perform a healing. It draws us closer to the heart of God. They're an expression, prayer and fasting, of our total dependence on him. It is this power, the faith, through prayer that gets us to the other side. That's what I discovered two years ago. Because I didn't get healed in five minutes, five days, five months, or even a year. That went on for a long time. But he brought me to the other side. And God's no respecter of men. He'll bring you to the other side too. I want you to hear me this morning. Whatever giant is standing in front of you, you can be standing over the top of that giant with its head in your hand. Because God. Not because you, not because me, because God. The thing is, how many of us know that we're actually supposed to be healing and casting out demons and performing miracles. We read about it in the Bible. And then we come to church and we're completely comfortable never seeing it. This is for us today, not just for them. John 14, 12 through 14 says, Truly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these. That's Jesus talking to us. So when I read something like that, I'm not just asking you, I'm asking myself. Where are your greater works? How many people, Jason, have you healed this week or this month or this year? How many people have you helped? How many demons have been cast out? It's all stuff we don't like to talk about, but it's why we're here. See, the church is supposed to be drawing people in because our faith is so strong that we walk out of these walls and we go do the work of God, his hands and feet in the community. 
It's hard to think about, it really is. But the Bible's very clear. We are supposed to do what Jesus did and greater things. So if you're not seeing those greater things and I'm not seeing those greater things, it implies a problem with our Christianity and that's hard to face. Are we too comfortable to engage what God has asked us to engage in? Is my Christianity real? Have I become a fan of Jesus Christ and not a follower? Have I let fear and doubt and unbelief rule my life? Where do you find yourself today? Are you scared of COVID or the vaccine? Are you living in fear about what bills are gonna show up? Or maybe you're gonna lose your job because you won't get vaccinated or because they're gonna close the company down because there's not enough people shopping right now. Where are you at? Because this is for us today. I'm telling you right now, God didn't do anything special for me. He will do it for anyone that asks him, whatever your giant is, hear me on that. I haven't been through your situation, but I've been through mine and plenty of other people have been through that as well. And almost invariably, whatever you're going through right now, someone else has gone through it and God has walked them to the other side. There's nothing new under the sun. So where are you at today? Maybe you just need to engage with Jesus and stop trying to uh, live in fear and doubt. Maybe you need to start exercising your faith. The funny thing about that is in order to exercise it, you actually have to use it, right? God gave it to us, but it's just like handing you a Bible. If you don't open up and read it, you're not gonna get any benefit from it. If you don't exercise your faith, there will be no fruit, no benefit. Or maybe like me, driving myself to the ER and to the convenient care and all these different things, you're trying to do it on your own. I got this, God. Thanks for showing up on Sunday, but it's all me, right? For so long, I left my faith languishing on my nightstand Monday through Saturday. And then on Sunday, I'd pick it up and bring it to church with me. That's not the way that he's called us to live. So I would encourage you to examine yourself and where you're at in the process and whatever, whatever place you're in, it's not an embarrassment. I wanna encourage you, whatever place you're in, pray and take the next step. There's a way out of fear. There's a way out of doubt. There's a way out of unbelief. And all of those paths start with Jesus Christ. So if you're a fan and not a follower, make the change. And if you're a follower and you're stuck living in fear and doubt, make the change. Because he has already given you faith. It exists inside of you. All you have to do is start exercising it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for your encouragement that you are with us, that you will not forsake us. I just pray for my 
my friends here this morning, Father, that if they find themselves living in fear and in doubt, that you would come alongside them. Yours is not a judgment and a shame, but an encouragement that you will walk with us through whatever we're going through and that you will see us to the other side. I thank you for that. I just pray that you would help each one of these to embrace that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolmt.com. Thanks.